Amen and amen. We're in Matthew 25. <clears throat> so Matthew 25, as I've shared repeatedly, Matthew 24 and 25 is the what we call the Olivet Discourse. So this is during Christ's Passion Week. Palm Sunday is already to his is in his rearview mirror. The cross is in his immediate future. He's hours from the cross, under a hundred. By the time we get here, <clears throat> his disciples, he's been debating on the Temple Mount with the Pharisees. And the disciples are sure the kingdom is coming. They're sure the prophecies of Isaiah are about to happen. The prophecies of Zechariah, the prophecies of Daniel. They're sure they're going to get to sit on his right hand and left hand. They're so sure about it that they, they, a couple of them set their mom on him, you know, on the road from Jericho to say, can my son sit on your left hand and write it? They're so sure that even after the Olivet Discourse at, at, at the Last Supper, Jesus is going to wash their feet because if you, you, you do the do the chronologies of the different gospels together, you realize that they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom right before he washes their feet because he's been teaching them, we're all going to be servants. We're all servants. And, and if you look at the chronologies, they were arguing, it looks like, and he just says, basically, you know, I'm so frustrated with you guys. Let me show you what we're going to all be. We're all going to wash each other's feet. So that is the context of their question in the beginning of chapter 24 when he tells them, hey, you know, basically not one stone is going to be left on another. <clears throat> they are, and I'm going to say this, I've said it over and over again, they are not thinking of the church. They have no idea the Gentile church is coming. In fact, that became a difficulty for them, right? When, when Peter is going to go up to see Cornelius and he comes back in Acts chapter 8, the 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 even some of the believing Jews are like, why are you preaching to the Gentiles? What are you doing? And he has to say, well, you know, uh, they spoke in tongues just like we did. Oh, that's a whole other topic about why tongues. But largely tongues was to convince the Jews that God was changing the culture and Gentiles were now going to be in this new organism called the church. And it wasn't going to be Jewish-centric but it was going to be multi-ethnic centric. And it was going to have permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and you see in Acts 2, it's the Jews speak in tongues. Acts 8, it's the Samaritans speak in tongues. And then it's in Acts 9 and 10, you see the, the Gentiles speaking in tongues. That's a whole different topic. We won't go there yet. <clears throat> but that's the true purpose of tongues in that early church was to say, we are one new man in Christ. There is no more Jew nor Greek. We're all in this together. <clears throat> so while there are good people that would suggest that maybe some of this, as I've told you, chapter 24 and 25 has to do with the rapture. When Christ says to them, when they ask Christ, what is the sign of your coming? They're not thinking the rapture of the church. They're asking, well, when will you set up the kingdom that Joel talks about? When will you set up the kingdom that Daniel talks about? When will you set up the king that Isaiah, kingdom that Isaiah talks about? Will, when will you set up the kingdom that Zechariah talks about? They are not thinking about the rapture. They have no thought about the rapture. Therefore, to, for Christ to answer, them, to answer them about the rapture would be, I think, incongruous. It would be incongruous. <clears throat> So I know I've blown a lot of your minds when I've told you that the two in the field, the one that's taken and the one that's left, 
You want to be the one that's left because the one that's taken is taken to this judgment of the nations. The one left behind is the saved person that's going to go into the millennium and into the kingdom. It has nothing to do with the rapture. And I know a lot of your minds are like, but I saw a movie when I was a kid that said I wouldn't be left. And I read a book that said I didn't want to be left behind. Well, you don't want to be left behind at the rapture, that's for sure. But that passage is talking about the tribulation. Matthew 24 and 25 is almost entirely about the tribulation. And I've told you this before. I'll say it one more time as we jump into the text. I'm just reminding you. And yes, for Lorna and, and Vicki, I'm going to get you some charts. Okay? <clears throat> I'm going to get Because you're the only brave ones that have asked for charts. They're all thinking it. Okay? So, <clears throat> but I've purposely not given you charts because I wanted to get to the point where we talked about this enough. And I'd gone exegetically through the Old Testament books not just taking verses here and there, which we could do that in a short 13-week study on eschatology, but I'm actually have been exegeting book after book after book after book and taking you through series of books focused on prophecy. <clears throat> what, what were the Old Testament prophets? <clears throat> and isn't it interesting? When we did Ezekiel, what, chapters 35 to the end of the book, Ezekiel has more to say about the millennium than any other book in the Bible. You remember that? It's chapters. You have four chapters in detail describing the temple in the millennium. <clears throat> we have in the New Testament, isn't it interesting, there's only about two verses in Revelation that talk about the millennium. Why? Because most of Revelation is about the tribulation, which is the 70th week of Daniel, which is a Jewish period. It's not about us Gentiles. We get so... Gentile-centric, and especially American-centric. Then we think, well, what about me? God says, well, what about me? What about my plan? <clears throat> okay, <clears throat> so as we look at Matthew 25, we are now to the end of the tribulation. So <clears throat> what I have taught, told you, we read it last week. If you go to Revelation 19, and we are... The, the Rev, Matthew 25, this passage happens between the last verse of Revelation 19 and the first verse of Revelation 20. That's, that's this text. Okay? <clears throat> so, <clears throat> if you have your notes in front of you, um, you can, I, I read the introduction there. So let's skip down to verse 31. When the Son of Man, I'm in the, in the Bible, I'll tell you when I go to my notes. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, that's us. <clears throat> that's the battle of Armageddon. He's coming with his angels, but when you read in Revelation 19, he's got a vestment dripped in blood, and the hosts of heaven are on white horses. That's the church. So the angels and the church are, are there. This is the battle of Armageddon. He's coming in the clouds in his glory. So what, oh, now I'm going to embarrass you. What is the definition of glory? The word glory. Does any, anybody remember? Oh my goodness. Lorna, go. Yeah, so the visible manifestation of one's essence. I know if I gave you the rest of it, you would get it. <clears throat> glory, the visible manifestation of one's essence. 
For all have sinned and come short of the... So who is the glory of God? Jesus. Who is the visible manifestation, the essence of God? Jesus. Is Jesus the glory of God? So that verse could say, for all have sinned and fall short of Jesus. Wouldn't you say that's true? Yep. <clears throat> so when this text says, so the question is, did the world see Jesus in all his glory and his first coming? Three guys did. Peter, James, and John. Where did they see the glory? The Mount of Transfiguration. Doesn't the text say that? <clears throat> now, they didn't see, I, they're not going to see everything. Remember when Moses saw God's glory? He said, you can't see my glory. And he put him in the cleft of the rock. Remember? So, when Christ comes, this isn't the first coming. There, he, Revelation 19 is you lay Revelation 19 on top of this text because they, they're the same event. This is not the rapture. This is the second coming. Does anybody remember the difference? How can we determine the difference between the rapture and second coming? What is the, so what, what did Jesus do during the first coming? He stepped on the earth. Will he step on the earth with the rapture? What does Thessalonians say? We will meet him in the air. That can't be the second coming. Zechariah says he will step on the Mount of Olives and what will happen? It'll split. <clears throat> That's the second coming. That's the judgment of the nations. That's this. Okay, so it's very, very important that we understand the difference between the rapture and the second coming because so many people think the rapture is the second coming and it's not. And then they mess up texts. They don't understand different texts. Okay? <clears throat> so, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Ah! Where does Joel, what, what place does Joel, he calls it a valley. Does anybody remember? Joel calls it a valley. The valley of Jehoshaphat. Remember we talked about, we don't know even, you go to Israel today like I have many times, and the guides, the, the Messianic, in other words, the born-again evangelical Jewish guides can't tell you where the Valley of Jehoshaphat is. So it might be one of the existing valleys in Israel. My view is that it's the valley God's going to make <coughs> when he stands on Mount Olives and Mount of Olives splits north to south. Okay? But I'm not going to... Get upset if somebody else has a different perspective on where the valley of Jehoshaphat is. But he's going to sit on his throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him. That's why we call it the judgment of the nations. So those who have not died at the battle of Armageddon, those who haven't been killed by the plagues, those who haven't been killed by the hailstones, <coughs> he's going to gather, and there's different views we're going to talk about in a second, but there's different views of who he gathers. Is Are the Jews kept out, the 144,000 Jews and their Jewish converts, um, are, my view is, no, it's everybody. And the word ethnos, the nations, ethnic is where we get, it's the Greek word ethnos, generally refers to Gentiles. So it could be that this is only Gentiles and all the Jews aren't there. The problem I have with that is that there will be some Jews, according to Zechariah, who won't believe in the Messiah.
They'll look on him who they've pierced, and most of them will mourn. But it appears from the end of Zechariah that some will not accept him still. So my understanding is this is every human that's still living. <clears throat> Hence, if you read the end of Daniel, you have extra days in Daniel. It's not a perfect three and a half years. There's about another 75 days there. My view is that it's that 75 days in Daniel is Matthew 25. That this is the extra time between the end of the 70th week of Daniel and the beginning of the millennium. That's the judgment of the nations. And there's really, really good people that disagree with that. And it's okay, but I'm <clears throat> doing the best. It's not about your salvation, but there will be a judgment. And my understanding is that every living person on the planet, that's where there will be some taken and some left. Those taken, according to Revelation 19, are taken where? <clears throat> They're taken to hell. Those that are left are the believers, the, the 144,000, the two witnesses of Revelation 11, the 144,000 and all their converts. Many of them will have been executed by the Antichrist. They're the souls under the altar that we'll see in Revelation, but not all of them will be executed. Many will be, but not all. And they will be the ones that will be the sheep with the goats. Okay? <clears throat> so it says here, verse 33, and he will set up, set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. So obviously the sheep are the believers, the goats, the unbelievers. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom, prepare for you for the foundation of the world. So let's stop. <clears throat> what were the Jewish disciples expecting when we describe a kingdom? A king, 100%. There's a lot of right answers here. There's a lots of right answers. Well, <clears throat> what? <clears throat> right. Defeat of the Romans, you're going to have a Jewish king. Were their promises heavenly? <clears throat> so I'm journaling through my daughter-in-law's Bible. And... Um, I'm in Genesis. It's January, so I'm in Genesis. We'll see if we make it through Leviticus in, in another few weeks. <clears throat> and I'm reading through the promises to Abraham again. I'm journaling, and I, I, I said, I said, these are everlasting promises. They do not, they, the church does not become, does not have these promises. And I, I was today in the passage where Abraham is buying the cave of Machpelah, modern-day Hebron. <clears throat> and I said, think of the amazing faith. Abraham is this small group of people, <laughs> basically Isaac, <clears throat> and all of his shepherds, and he's got great possessions, and he's very wealthy, and they're dwelling among the Hittites. Oh, by the way, the liberals told us 100 years ago there were no such people as the Hittites, and that the Bible was a myth, and of course... All you have to do with archaeology and science is eventually it will catch up to the Bible. It's just the Bible is way ahead of its time. <clears throat> they found a style in the capital of Assyria many years later, and there it is, the Assyrians beaten up on the Hittites. And now we know the Hittites were this massive, massive, and in the mid-1800s, every false liberal Christian told us that there were no such things as the Hittites, and the Bible was full of myths. So Abraham buys the cave. My comment to my daughter this morning, my daughter-in-law, was think of the faith that 
Abraham believed God's promise that this land was his and his progenies, no matter what they did or did not do, because Abraham walked, because God walked through the pieces in his promise by himself, and he put Abraham to sleep. So therefore, it wasn't based on what Abraham or his descendants did. It was based solely upon God's character and God's truthfulness. <clears throat> and Abraham buys a field for his for his. 2,000 years before his great, 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 great grandson Jesus will be born, he buys a field in faith that this is my land, even though he has one son of promise. I mean, he had other, he had Ishmael, but he had one son of promise. What great faith. My point is that these Jews that Jesus is talking to, the key was a land. God did not give them heavenly promise. We think of a kingdom in heaven. We see Revelation 21 and 22. The church's promise is very heavenly. The Jewish kingdom mindset was very earthly. Very earthly. <clears throat> now, does that mean in the eternal state, some have said, well, the Jewish people will be on the earth and we'll all be in heaven. I, I don't know that I, I buy that deeply. I don't know. But the millennium promises of the kingdom where David is going to rule. And remember, we saw in Zechariah, a literal David will be resurrected and rule in Jerusalem along with Jesus who rules the nations. But David will rule the Jewish people. And it's a resurrected David. It's very clear in Zechariah who that is. Okay, I'm, I'm moving again, but questions or comments? I want to stop. I don't want to keep flying. Okay, it's cold. Did everybody have coffee this morning? Did every, <clears throat> everybody? <clears throat> okay, so let's keep going. Now notice <clears throat> what he says. He says, come blessed, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I do not believe he's telling them, come to heaven. That's going to be Revelation 21 and 22. He's telling them, come into the millennium, come into the kingdom that's promised to the Jews. Because your promises have been of a land. They're not, <clears throat> it doesn't mean you won't have eternal bodies and, and eternally live with me. That's not what he's saying. But the immediate promises to the Jewish people were a kingdom, a land. And in Ezekiel, we saw it gives exactly the, the dimensions of the land. It gives the dimensions of a temple. That is going to be, remember I put that screenshot of Ezekiel's temple next to Herod's temple, next to Solomon's temple, next to the tabernacle. And this temple is massively bigger than Herod's temple. Really bigger than Solomon's temple. I mean, and Ezekiel is writing right after the captivity, during the captivity, in Babylon. And he's writing to only a few thousand Jews and says, you guys think Solomon's temple was great? Let me tell you something. The kingdom temple is going to be even bigger. Talk about faith. Talk about eschatology to a discouraged and, and sad people. So what I said in my prayer, and I've told you before, eschatology is not so we have a bunch of facts in our heads and we're better than everybody else. The point of eschatology, and much of the Bible is prophecy, whether it's the first coming or the second coming, the point of prophecy is to encourage us when it seems like the world is going to <clears throat> in a handbasket. Just to encourage us. I'm still in control. This is not happening outside of my sovereign will. It's all good. Yeah, John, go ahead. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Great question. <clears throat> so there's two views to that. So number one view, which I tend to take a little bit more, is that the kingdom today is here but not yet, is kind of the, say, the idea. In other words, the kingdom is in an embryonic form that will be fully manifested in the millennium. <clears throat> okay. There's another view that says that, that he'll give a sign, the child is born, <clears throat> And the kingdom comes, they reject it, and the actual kingdom doesn't start to the millennium. And that's when the forevermore starts, is, is at the judgment of the nations and the, and the administration of the kingdom. Dispensationalists have those, they, <clears throat> they both have those two views. <clears throat> I, I fall a little bit in the former camp, because that's how I understand the parables of the kingdom that we talked about on Wednesday night for so long, having application to us today is because I think there is in, in the kingdom in its embryonic form. The kingdom in its embryonic form, remember all the, all the, all the um, birds <clears throat> land in the tree and, the, and everybody can come into the tree. And if you take the birds as being the Gentile nations, there's a sense in which that's happening today, but that doesn't mean that there won't be a literal fulfillment when all Israel is saved and all Gentiles are saved. Remember, the, the, the millennium only starts with saved, believing people. Everybody else is gone. <clears throat> so it, 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 there's, when, the question is, when does that kingdom start? Does it start at his birth or does it start when the millennium starts? And in what, what form is it during this era of the church age? And it doesn't mean we replace Israel, but is there a sense in which um, God's rule and reign can be active in our lives today? And we can reflect that. So in that form, it's like, not to be, I'm just trying to use an illustration, like a woman who's pregnant. <clears throat> it's embryonic. The, the kingdom is alive. It's just not visible. Does that make sense? Go ahead. I see another question on your face. <clears throat> there's a short, there's, there's a very short season. Yep. <clears throat> so what we read in, <clears throat> great question. So I would say that even though the short season happens, God is still in charge because he rains fire from heaven. And, and I, I think I've mentioned this before. The short season is really overlooked in the cosmic idea of, and every mouth will be stopped and everybody will become guilty before God. Paul writes that, right? And one of my arguments for, the disp for dispensationalism, which I won't get to today, <coughs> that's okay. Um, one of the arguments for that is, that God gives a stewardship to man to see if there's any way possible man can follow God without the Spirit's intervention in his life. So God gives him a perfect garden and no sin nature with one rule. He blows it. <clears throat> so can you see that guy standing before God and say, Lord, Lord, my home was so bad. My parents were so bad. I learned all the wrong things. And God says, I gave you a perfect garden. <clears throat> well, but if, 
you know, I'm just like a rule keeper. If you'd given me just like 10 rules, I would have kept them. Okay, that didn't work out. Well, you know what? I believe in Jiminy Cricket theology. If I just, my conscience, if I just follow my heart, Hallmark Christianity, you know, if I just follow my heart, plaid always wins over suits. So, you know, if I, <clears throat> more people have gotten in messes following their heart because the heart is what? Deceitful, right? Don't follow your heart. That is the wrong thing to follow. Follow the word of God. Don't follow your heart. Ah! I've told that to so many couples. Don't follow your heart. <clears throat> follow the word of God. <clears throat> My heart is deceitful. The, what would Jesus' movement do? Started out really well, except pretty soon, everybody's idea of what Jesus would do is what they would do. And if you quoted the Bible to them and said, wait a second, but what you're doing as they're wearing a what would Jesus do watch or bandana or whatever, and I'm not against that idea because it's true, but the problem is if you don't know the Bible, what Jesus would do is whatever you want to do. You become your own Jesus. <clears throat> so one of the greatest arguments is that short season. We've just had a thousand years of perfection. The, the planet's atmosphere has probably changed back to being similar to what it was before the flood. Because the desert is going to bloom like a rose. What I've told you before, what if the Sahara Desert looked like Iowa minus the 40 below zero? Okay. <clears throat> I mean, billions of people, no police forces, no war, no genocide, no cancer. No sexual abuse, no pedophilia. The list just goes on and on. No defense departments. Because God is going to rule with a rod of iron. You get a thousand years of just amazing peace and prosperity. And as soon as Jesus leaves, man turns on those who are left. What a great... Look, I gave you a thousand years of peace and prosperity when every ism and spasm, whether it was communism or monarchism or dictatorship or every socialism, every ism out there, the utopia, I gave it to you. And as soon as I left, you still responded in sinful rebellion. What a great answer to shut the mouth of every man who thinks I can do this without God. That's the purpose of the different stewardships. That's why I'm a dispensationalist, because covenant theology doesn't have that explanation. Covenant theology that says the church replaced Israel doesn't have that explanation for why God is working his eternal purpose and glory through different stewardships. Does that make sense? Okay, Lorna, and then I'll, I'll get... Lorna, go ahead. You always open a can of worms, Lorna. <clears throat> Yep, by Pentecost. And he was talking about the Davidic man who lived Oh, yeah. He's a, so the question is, is where is Dwight Pentecost book, Things to Come, on Covenant Theology? By the way, if, how many have ever seen the book, Things to Come? Ever seen a copy of it? So it's got to be eight, 900 pages. That was his THD dissertation that he wrote when he was 24. <clears throat> my dad used to carry those around in his evangelistic meetings. And if you invited 10 new people on the night and they came, he gave you a free copy of that book. So ours, we had three people living in a 60 Oldsmobile, half our trunk 
was Pentecost things to come, and the rest of it was our suitcases. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the good old days. <clears throat> anyway, um, yes. So he would not, he would be death on, because he's a dispensationalist. He would be death. <clears throat> he believes in a literal millennium. Yeah, very much so. Yes. No. Great. Great. Boy, you guys are like rocking and rolling. And I'm a Baptist, so we don't believe in that. But I mean, you know, in cultural verbiage, you guys are rocking and rolling these questions today. So, so the question is, um, give me your first one that I was really curt with. New heaven and new earth is after the great white throne judgment. So what you get is the millennium, short season, great white throne judgment. God takes all the old heaven, every two trillion galaxies. All Jesus Christ does is remove himself. And the greatest thermonuclear destruction that man has ever seen will take place. Because by him and through him, all things exist. <clears throat> yeah, that will be the big bang. <clears throat> that will be the big bang, 100%. So it's interesting that the word we use in Greek when you learn the Greek to, does anybody ever take Latin? Anybody ever take Latin? Anybody old enough? So you, you know how in, in, in European languages, the endings tell you. So you, you have to learn how to parse. So you go luo, luace, lue, luam, and lueta, luusi. So that's first person singular, second person singular, and you build it off the word luo. It's the easy, really super easy word to build all your conjugations off of, okay? <clears throat> Pastor Nate is going through this right now in seminary. Isn't <laughs> he charismatic? They're going, I hate the Greeks. Why didn't God write the Bible in English? So <clears throat> I hate those Greeks. <clears throat> so luo, first person singular, luo, luace. Luace is first person, uh, second person singular. Luo, Luace, Lue, third person singular. Luam and Luetta, Luusi. Those are all present tense, first person. So it's Luo. Luo means to destroy. But you learn off an easy conjugation that way. Then you can add the verb tenses and a lot of other stuff. <clears throat> Where it says in Peter that the heavens will melt with a fervent heat, the word heat is Luo. The word luo literally means to come unhinged, unloosed, melt. <clears throat> Can anybody explain to me what keeps electrons, neutrons, and protons together? <laughs> In him and by him and through him all things exist. Jesus holds two trillion galaxies together. <clears throat> and here's what Jesus is going to do after the great white throne judgment. He's going to go. He's going to do his Yogi Berra impersonation, it, and he's found a picnic basket, which is a new heaven, a new earth, and he's going to exit stage left. The universe goes like that, and then he's going to go, let there be light. And that's the new heaven, a new earth. There will be no more sin. He has displayed his glory. The visible manifestation of his essence was creation. It was redemption. It was judgment. And now it's a new creation. <clears throat> right. <clears throat> yep, he destroys and he creates. 
He destroys and he creates. Now your second question was... So, <clears throat> so <clears throat> my understanding is that all the saints of the, of the, of the church age are raptured. What, is, what does Paul say? Behold, I show you a mystery. You shall not all sleep, but you shall all be changed. Best verse for a Baptist nursery. You'll all be changed. <clears throat> I worked all week on that one. I deserve a few more chuckles than I'm getting right now, okay? <clears throat> you shall all be changed in a moment of twinkling eye at the last trump, for the dead in Christ shall rise first. The phrase in Christ is never used of Old Testament saints because they wouldn't know who... They wouldn't know that phrase. It's always used in New Testament saints. So my understanding is at the rapture, every saint of the New Testament dispensation goes to be with Christ. During that, some say seven-year period, some say three-and-a-half-year period, there will be a marriage supper of the Lamb. <clears throat> I think the first three-and-a-half years are the judgment seat of Christ, and the second three-and-a-half year in heaven, the judgment seat of Christ, we'll study that in Romans 14. We'll see that. Every man shall give an account of himself to God. Then then. The last three and a half years is the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to be able to eat McDonald's and never gain a pound. I mean, this is just going to be something. No, I'm joking about McDonald's. Trust me on that one. McDonald's will be banished from the new heaven and new earth. And there will be no more, because there will be no more tears. So there can be no more McDonald's, no more heartburn, no, no, no more. <clears throat> so we'll be in heaven, then we come back for the Battle of Armageddon. <clears throat> who is then raised for the, the judgment of the nations, I believe, is all the Old Testament believing saints. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Ezekiel. Because <clears throat> why do you say that, Pastor? Well, because we know David is in the... I mean, Zechariah is really clear. And when Zechariah writes, David has been dead 600 years. And Zechariah says David will be in the gate. The gate was where the king sat. So Christ is ruling the earth from Jerusalem, my understanding, and a, a resurrected David is ruling that area that we saw in Zechariah because it's very specific on how big the millennial kingdom is by acreage. <clears throat> David will be ruling that because that's been the promise to the Jews that David would, David would rule, but his son would sit on his throne forever. So his son will rule the world. David will rule Jerusalem. <clears throat> but I believe all the Old Testament saints, and there are good good people that dis don't see it quite this way. So, no, it's not a, like I'm going to get into a fight or anything about it. But the my understanding is Old Testament saints then inherit the kingdom. They saw it, Hebrews 11. Oh, can you imagine all those that saw it at a distance? <clears throat> what did Joseph say? In faith, <clears throat> Joseph said, when you when God takes you back to the land, Remember those big pyramids that you see in pictures and some of us who were there, what, two years ago now has it been? And we saw the pyramids up close. Those pyramids had been there for 500 years when Abraham saw them. When Joseph saw them, they had been there 700 years. I mean, this is a massive kingdom <clears throat> that we still don't really understand how they did those things today. And Joseph said, when we go back, because God has promised us we're going to go back, take my bones with me, with you. Because that's the land God promised my grandpa. That's the land my, 
my daddy Jacob, my grandpa Isaac, and my great-grandpa Abraham, they were all promised that land. You take my bones back and you bury me in my land. You wonder why the Jews are so passionate about their land today. Because Joseph said, it may be 350 more years, but take me back to my land. <clears throat> it's hard for us to understand that live in different homes, and I've lived in so many different homes in my life, and we move around. That's not their culture. So <clears throat> I hope that kind of answered. I went a little bit longer, but give you some background. Did you raise another question? Go ahead. <laughs> ah, great question. <clears throat> okay. So the question is, for those who are watching online, so where are the Old Testament saints right now? Ah, now we get into a two-compartment theory. So we'll have to, <clears throat> there's multiple different ideas about that, but here's my, what's that? Yeah, my understanding is <clears throat> Old Testament saints and Old, Old Testament believers, Old Testament believers went to Sheol. Sheol is a place of the dead. Paradise would be the place of the believers. Gehenna is a Hebrew word for burning. The Valley of Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom, was where they threw the trash. They're on the southwestern side of Israel. It's also where they burnt their babies. And they, <clears throat> they had drums going all the time, and the God had his hands out like this, and you put the baby here, and you would roll the baby into the arms, and the baby would scream, and the drums would go, so you couldn't hear the baby screaming. That's Gehenna. That's the Valley of Hinnom. And it's right outside of Jerusalem. <clears throat> you can drive your bus right there today. And you're on top. If you went down 45 feet or 50 feet, you would find where all that took place. <clears throat> okay? So my understanding is, is that when Old Testament saints died, they went to what they would call the bosom of Abraham. That's where, and I do not believe Luke 16 is a parable. Because you say, why? Because, in no, and I had, I've got good friends that think it is a parable. I'm not going to be mad at them. <clears throat> in no parable does a personal pronoun, is a personal name ever mentioned. Lazarus is a personal name and it's mentioned. I firmly believe there was a rich man that lived in Israel and there was a beggar named Lazarus because Jesus uses a name Lazarus. He doesn't use a proper name in anybody else's, any other parable. <clears throat> people can disagree and be good people and godly and orthodox. That's my understanding of that text. So, <clears throat> Before Christ's resurrection, I believe believer Jews could see unbelieving Jews. Believing Jews could see unbelieving Gentiles. In Sheol, the place of the dead, one was a place of paradise, one was a place of suffering. <clears throat> when Jesus rises again, Paul tells us he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. The gifts were to the church. The captives would have been those in paradise. <clears throat> so if you die today in Christ, you go right to heaven. I believe the Old Testament saints are in heaven today. So if I died today, um, even so come Lord Jesus, I'd, I'd go either way, to be honest with you, and I'd be, a, be happier. Cry for my wife. She might be happier too. She's going to be rich. So, <laughs> sweetheart, you didn't hear that. She's watching this right now, okay? You did not hear that. <clears throat> um, if I died tonight, I believe I would be seeing Abraham. But that's because I believe Jesus took all of the, un the believing saints out of paradise and took them to heaven when he rose from the dead. Good people disagree with that. It, it, it's, it's a minutia theological issue, honestly. 
<clears throat> the church will come <clears throat> because we. This is this is the church will come. I, my understanding is that the believers of the Old Testament in heaven will come to the sheep and the goats, and they'll be the sheep, and then they will go in. <clears throat> they will go into the millennium, while those that are taken will go to destruction. Then they will be resurrected at the end of the short season to stand at the great white throne judgment. Because John says, and I saw the dead small and great and death and hell delivered up the dead that were in them. So that's kind of like God's second, just to make sure this is your Supreme Court appeal. <clears throat> death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them is what Revelation 19, 11 to 15 says. That, does that make sense? Whether you agree with me or not, it's okay. But does that make sense? Yeah, John, go ahead. <clears throat> yes. So John's question is, do the Old Testament saints have a physical body? Absolutely. That's, that's Corinth, the promise in Corinthians is that way. So the question I would say to you <clears throat> is, when Jesus meets Elijah and Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration, how do the disciples know it's Moses? They were, well, I mean, they didn't really have good, they didn't have really good Twitter pictures of them, but <clears throat> they, yeah, they couldn't pull up out of their, their phone pictures. Oh, there, that's what he looks like. See, I knew it looks like him. But they had to have physical, they had to have bodies. They had to have physical bodies. Man, this has been, I know we're like way over. <clears throat> But these are good questions. This is what I love. I love why I love teaching. Yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, it's spiritual in the sense. Yeah, it's spiritual body in the sense that it's free from the power of the presence of sin. Because it, it's, see, remember, first John says, we will be like him for we will see him as he is. So at the rapture or at death, when I see Jesus, I'm 100% sanctified. Romans 8.29 is completely fulfilled. We are predestined to be <clears throat> conformed to the image of Christ. Absolutely. In our 30s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I want to have that 28-inch waist back again. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I really don't think anybody's thinking about that. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, I've had people ask me, <clears throat> my, my child died when he was young. I mean, this is serious. My child died at five. Will he know me? He asked Jesus to come into his heart. And he died at five. Will he know me? My answer is absolutely. Will he always look like a five-year-old? Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things are for God. <clears throat> and Deuteronomy 29 is, 29 is a great, the God that can make two trillion galaxies in an instant does not abide by my rules of nature, gravity, <clears throat> time and space. He doesn't. Will, will I know, will I know, um, I, what I tell the mom who's weeping, will you know your son 100%? Will he know you 100%? <clears throat> what will he look like? That I don't know. 
Because we'll have the mind of Christ. We'll have, we'll have, we'll have a perfect mind that won't be tainted by sin. We, scientists tell us that we only use about 10% of our mind. Some of you are not even close to that. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that we only use about, can you imagine what man could do with 